The only thing that pulled me through was uh, having a sadhana, having a practice where every single day, like I was just thinking about this this morning. It was like such dark nights of the soul where literally I would just roll out of bed, do my practice, my sadhana, like about an hour and 90 minutes in the morning. Moments of it looked like sitting on my meditation cushion at my altar, setting my timer to meditate and just like, then lying in fetal position and bawling my eyes out until my timer went off. It's like, okay, there's a lot of hours in the day, Lex. Like, get up. And then if it's like, yeah, you go sit back down and it just looks so messy. Snot, Kleenex, (laughs) mascara everywhere. It's like, it's got to come out somehow. Somehow. But like, my commitment to that that this is the path. Because in anything, when you're in a dark time or going through anything, you have to pick a path and stay with it. And when you pick one path, you'll go deep. It's when we're like, oh, I'm going to try a little bit of this aromatherapy. And then I'm going to try a little bit of these crystals, which both, they're great. They're great. I'm not dissing either. But like, pick a path and go for it. And let it take you as deep as it will take you and you'll come out the other side. That was Lex Ferrier, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome home, you guys. This is episode 74 of the YTP. I'm Jess, your host, and today we go deep. The first time I walked into Lex's yoga class, she shared a story about walking her dog. And how many times her dog, King, will dig his paws in and refuse to go another step. Using all the encouragement she can muster, she tries to convince King that the journey of their walk is in his best interest and the destination is even better. And it was in these moments, it's in these moments that she sees herself and she sees all of us at the end of that leash. And the master power that leads us all along our journey and furthermore, the resistance that we all have and some of us often have, the resistance that we throw down in our paths in the name of self-will and preservation because we just don't trust. We don't believe and we are fearful towards the unknown ahead. But she loves King deeply and because she is the higher being, She has the ability to know what is best for him. Exercise, healthy food, love, and a return home after their journey. The same goes for the higher source of love that is guiding all of us. It's just our abhorrence to the uncomfortable that has us digging in our heels. It is our surrender to negative ego energy, which leads us to refusing to take another step into the frightening unknown. So that day in class... I just knew that I needed to share her wisdom with our community. And furthermore, after experiencing her asana class, the physical limb of yoga, I didn't feel so alone anymore because like me, she is a very passionate teacher. Sometimes this passion has gotten both of us into trouble. But as Lex says in our opening minutes, if you're not pissing someone off, you're not playing a big enough game. And this game is the, the game of love, right? The very love that we both share for our chosen paths. And the passion arises from our unwavering commitment to those paths. And through this, the teachings move through us. 
Lex talks about the importance of path adherence so that we can fall into our own style of teaching because remember, we are all teachers, you guys, every single one of us. To find our inner teacher, we must have an undying willingness to shed the layers of what the world no longer needs. Through this, we can pull out the deep roots and live in a state of freedom within a life steeped in the guiding principles of yogic philosophy. Lex has been to the dark side. She's hit rock bottom, and it was from her time lying in the valley of her deep hurt that she has been able to rise up in such divine perfection. Bouts of sobbing, intense, painful experiences of letting go, vastly uncomfortable times of trusting when everything says not to, and spans of timelessness that are nothing but experiences of unconditional love and joy beyond what any human could ever imagine are all just some of the qualities of that divine perfection. It's not all smiles and the temporary happiness that our sensory self constantly seeks. It's the real work, the path towards mastery, and the ultimate transcendence out of our own self-induced suffering. Yeah, self-induced. I used to think that that didn't apply to me until I actually started to see. And not unlike our guest today, there was a strong light body within me always trying to make itself known. And this body, this light, this unlimited power is the very same that is within all of us. And it connects all of us. So I guess you could say that this podcast is the yogi side of Yogi Triathlete, but there is nothing here that every single athlete and human can't benefit from in a way that positively affects everything in our existence. We are on a mission to create a better world here at Yogi Triathlete, and it's all found between the start and finish line of this life. There are starts and finishes every day, peaks and valleys, ups and downs, but even just a gentle leaning into this side of us is never a waste. Mental toughness, endurance, pushing through, that's all lower level intelligence. At Yogi Triathlete, we're here to assist those who are ready to tap into their inner badass, where high-level intelligence resides, and the keys to blowing your entire world up into a life without limits is a viable daily option. So yes, we go deep today, and our conversation will resonate differently with each one of you, but I just ask that you listen to what comes up what feels natural, and what you resist because the ego energy will be strong in the wake of such an enlightening exchange such as this. We talk about the self, and I mean the capital S self, and surrendering the personal will for a will that is far greater. Lex speaks to the resistant yogi, and she shares her wisdom on how to give up what we don't need anymore. Lex works with matters of the soul, and her teachings are inspired by her studies in Anusara, Vedanta, and Tantric philosophy. We have over 10 minutes of podcast extras that will be going up over the next few days on our Patreon page. So if you've been thinking about deepening your support, you will have access to early release and exclusive content like this. We recently had an inquiry about how to make the pledge. So let me explain it. It's super easy. Go to our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes for this episode. Click on become a patron. Then select what you want. We have rewards packages available, or you can choose the $1 option and then change it to the amount of your choice after you click on it. That's it. 
super easy, never have to think about it again. Okay, that's enough with the housekeeping. For those of you who know Lex, and I know a lot of you are listening, you will be able to see her moving around the mic with her gorgeous inside and out passion-filled expressions. And for those of you who have never met Lex, I don't believe there is going to be a way not to feel and imagine her soul-filled animation. So without another moment of clock time passing, I give you our convo with mystical activist, yogini, and author, Alexis Ferrier. Okay. Yeah. And you're from? Seattle. Yeah. What brought you down to San Diego? Actually, I went into treatment for my eating disorder, and then... Let's just jump right in. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> hi. Are we on? Are we rolling? We're rolling. <laughs> Perfect Surprise. way to start. Yeah. Perfect. So you were up in Seattle. I things, up in Things Seattle. weren't going so well. <laughs> no, they weren't. And um, I actually remember, I was like, I hit rock bottom, and I... Um, I like found, I went on Google and I found all these like really cool retreats for like people to like go sit in Sedona in a vortex and, and, and all these really cool meditative things. And I remember I went to my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm really at this place. Like, I think I should go to one of these things. And I remember she goes, I was thinking something more like this. And it was like eating disorder treatment and rehab for trauma and like all this and I'm like oh shit it's real um yeah so I went into treat I'd never been to San Diego I remember getting off the plane like where is this on the map like I had no idea went into treatment and like that's the first time I ever stepped on my yoga mat it was literally like the clouds parted and the light of heaven was shining on me. I just was like, I've been looking for this my entire life. And it was like in that moment, yoga, I, I remember feeling before I was even a teacher that yoga was my work. Just as a student on my mat, I was like, you treat this like you're going to work every single day. Practice, practice, practice. It was like a year into my practice when um, with some loving encouragement from people close to me, I'm like, I can't do this. No, no, no. And they're like, you're amazing. You can do this. You're like, you are living this yoga and there's something for you to share. And so I did my first teacher training. Oh, and I, the thing, wow. and I met you before BJ met you, and so I've been going to your class, and the thing that I love about you and how I explained it to BJ, I'm like, she just, like, you're so, you're so you, like, you, you could not plan the way you are in class because you're so passionate about it. And which is great, and then comes with apologies afterwards. No, I, you, know, you know what? I, it, honestly, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not alone." Because I see you in class, and and you're looking like you see us. Number one, like we're not just like an agenda in like in a like. Mm. Okay, here I am with my script, and this is what's going to happen, and do this, and here are all the cues that go along with it. You're like your classes are super alive, and you're just like, "Oh my god, this is so amazing!" <laughs> like, she's just like she gets so passionate about it 
And for me, I was like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Mm. Because sometimes I'm like, oh my, like reach, yes, like do that. And I'd like another big, big, like a big, 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 big breath. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, feel that breath, you know? And then, oh, take it down. Now feel that release. And so I was like, oh, somebody else gets as passionate. Because sometimes I leave class with like my tail between my legs. Like my ego comes in like, that was too much. Yeah. You're well, too, You're too passionate. Um, very early, I realized that if you're not pissing someone off, you're not playing a big enough game. (laughs) And so as a teacher, you realize that you're not for everyone, but every single one of us has a tribe, you know, the way that we look, the way we talk, the way our facial expressions are when we teach. And really we're all teachers somewhere in our lives. Right. And it's like, there's specific people that are going to hear you because of all those things. And then the other people have other teachers. But really resonating when, when you were just demonstrating how you <laughs> teach over there, um, seeing the mirror of myself. But that to me really talks about being the capacity to teach, but also to stay connected that we're really one. So as the students are practicing, like the practice is happening inside of you as a teacher to feel their practice and their breath and their movement as if you are practicing. It's like this, it's like this embodiment happens. Like when you really teach from a place of, of presence and, mm-hmm. and when the, and I don't want to speak for you, but like, I just kind of see myself as a funnel and like, I just, I, I, you know, like, I'm like, all right, like I'm, I'm relying on you to come on through and teach the class and I'm just the messenger, but like the embodiment, because you're, I'm feeling the tension mm-hmm. in their bodies and I'm feeling that release and like, just to see people moving and breathing in this way is like, oh my God, this is what we need in the world. Like, I get to teach this. What an honor. Yeah. Teaching, being the faucet, and allowing the water to come through. Yeah. You know? All right, let's back it up a little bit. So, San Diego, like, you get off the plane and things are not good, but when did this all start? Actually, things turned turned around for the better (laughs) so quickly. How old were you at this point? I was 21 years old. 21. Yeah. And... When did, because we've, we've talked about this subject before on the podcast and, you know, we work with a lot of athletes and, you know, there's a lot of adults that are still struggling with like their relationship Mm. to food. So for you, when did it start? Like, um, like (laughs) eight years old, I was like, oh, that's slim fast. Oh, like I should drink that. I mean, there's all the internal stuff, you know, that would cause you to, look for outlets or ways outside of yourself to gain control or to disconnect or numb out. Like I like to say, as an eight-year-old girl, it was not appropriate for me to go go to the bar and pour myself a scotch, you know, like (laughs) to deal with the, the stress of life, you know? So when you're young, I mean, what is in front of you all the time? Food. I also remember I had a best friend whose older sister I thought was like the most beautiful girl ever. And um, she was curvy, like, like curvy. Like I thought she looked great. And I remember she was always like, I'm so fat. I need to lose weight. I'm so fat. I need to lose weight. And it was almost like 
oh, I should be, I should be concerned about that, you know? Because you're looking up to her, right? You're yeah. looking up to her. You're, you're seeing her as like this beautiful person. Well, wait a minute, but maybe she's not as beautiful and maybe I'm not either. Right. And, and because you're, you're looking up to her, was she, she was older than yeah. you. Six years. So it's oh, like, that's huge. yeah. Yeah. And so the message being like, yeah, I should look at that as yeah. well. I should be concerned with this, how I look, you know? So how did it like, how did it spiral? <clears throat> like, what did it look like? <laughs> like, um, anywhere from periods of anorexia, periods of bulimia, and then there was periods of, like, I've got this, where every single day on, I would mark on the calendar that I ate food and I didn't throw it up. So I was like, okay, this, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go. And I remember I got to a year and a half, and I'm like, I beat this thing. Yeah, the whole entire time, it was like my relationship with food, totally dysfunctional. And above all else, the relationship I had to myself was, was dysfunctional. I mean, I, was, I wasn't holding myself in love. I wasn't nourishing myself and supporting myself, which all those things get pushed onto the relationship with the food, right? Instead of looking at like, how am I treating myself? So it was like that point when then the anorexia and the bulimia started to come back um, when I was uh, 20, 21, that I'm just like, something's got to change. Like obviously just keeping my food down isn't the solution for what's going on. Because you, you knew you weren't happy. Oh, I was miserable. <laughs> miserable. What was the, what was the, this, your story, by the way, is pretty hauntingly familiar, but what was, what do you think that the perspective of others on you, what did, what did they, like, were you outward about this? Did people know or were you, was it like a little bit of a secret life? Maybe a couple people knew. My family was very aware and I think the mentality just was like, oh, she'll grow out of it. It's an insecurity she has. Um, my best friends knew. Um, I got into a serious relationship when I was 18. And we actually got married when I was 21. And he knew, obviously, from the beginning. And, you know, they tried to be a, a support for me. But at the end of the day, when you have an addiction... It's like that comes first. Like I remember him like blocking the door, like you're not going to throw up the food. I'm like, well, guess what? Then I'm leaving. Like when you're in so much pain inside, that has to come first because of the fear of like, if I'm not, if I don't have this, like what is going to explode inside of me? And so it's <sighs> like, it's self-protection beyond belief, but small self. Not the big self. The capital S. The capital S. Self. Self, that one. So, all right. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I called it rehab. Is it rehab? Yeah, let's call it that. <laughs> I called it lockdown in my first yeah, book. Yeah, lockdown. <laughs> so lockdown is going to be interesting because yeah. <laughs> now you've rolled out the mat. How soon into the treatment did you roll out the mat? And Like the third day? Nice. So my experience with healing, and you use that word a lot because it's in, in you know, one of your books is actually got that, got that word in it. And you've written four books. 
Um, so we'll definitely, I want to talk about those as well, but yeah, it's the healing. Like it's, it's the getting to the core of it. It's not stop throwing up because obviously that was not sustainable, but it's the deep healing. And that is like wicked, wicked intense. It's the real work. It's the real work. It's the real work. But it's so worth it. For me, there was like a period where like I had to get I had to get real with myself and I had to I had to start seeing how I was moving through the world, right? Like you have to be able you have to get the sight. How did you get the sight to see that you needed <clears throat> this healing? I had a lot of support around me, but I, and I was willing to make the adjustments to gain the support. So while I was in treatment, they said um I remember I was like a few weeks in, I was just, I felt like I had waited my whole life to go there. Like when my, when I was a kid and my parents were like, you're awful. We're going to send you to a mental institution. I was like, please, <laughs> like it's the place I want to go. So like you can, <laughs> all right. So, so oh my God. Yeah. And so like. Your light was super strong. Like, cause that part of you is like, it was really strong. Oh. It was like, oh my God. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I want. I, I want to do this work. So it's almost like, did you not have a lot of resistance to it oh I was I I was so happy to be there Mm. so happy to be there that in fact like two or three weeks in I was talking with my therapist there and I just asked her like what is the in just a few weeks I had experienced so much opening inside of me that I'm like what do what's the safest path for me to take right now like going forward because you sign up for 30 days. I'm like, okay, what's my plan? And I need to protect this fiercely. And she's like, never go home. I'm like, oh, like pack up my stuff. She's like, no. What fits in your car? Have someone drive it down. Mind you, I'm married in a house with two dogs. I'm like, oh, okay. And she's like, stay a couple more weeks. Go into an uh, a house with women in recovery for a few months and then join this program and this program and see this therapist and give it a go. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I started my new life in San Diego with all the shoes that would fit in my car. And I left everything else behind. <laughs> Including the husband? Including the husband. But you know, he's great. Like... His mom actually just sent me a message today. Like, you just have to think I was in such a disconnected state that I was in a marriage that was just, it was just disconnected, you know? It was just disconnected. Right. And you're a baby. Baby. I'm from a little tiny farm town in the Pacific Northwest. It's called Puyallup. Like, it's known for its state fair. Uh, (laughs) So this is what people do. People get married. Have babies, you know. So where did you set up shop? After the whole recovery house, I moved to Carmel Valley because I had a friend who also went through the same process that I met in the midst of all the, the houses and all of that. She lived in Carmel Valley and I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. So you were willing, you were ready, but it's not all pretty. It couldn't have been all pretty. Do you remember like... <laughs> 
<laughs> we like to get we like to oh because i think it, it's yeah. just this is what people need like they need to know that they're not alone and like it's not always pretty like that's one of the things i say in class all the time like let it get messy yeah like let it get messy and risk i want you to risk your stability here i want you to risk it like mm. you know it's very low risk to be like you know, stacking your shoulders just a little bit more, right? But yeah. we're so resistant to like going out of our comfort zone. And so we, we wanted, what I want, what I'm asking you is like, do you remember a moment where it was like super tough and how did you roll through that? <clears throat> like a moment, I would say it's funny because the eating stuff started to melt away pretty quickly but what was all underneath it, that was the hard stuff. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and um, for so many years, it was so rocky and so hard. And I remember going to therapy to a woman who's like, she's still my spiritual counselor. Like, she's a really beautiful woman. And um, I remember being like, is this ever going to get easier? And she's like, it will, it will. And um, the only thing that pulled me through was uh, having a sadhana, having a practice where every single day, like I was just thinking about this this morning. It's like such dark nights of the soul where literally I would just roll out of bed, do my practice, my sadhana, like about an hour and 90 minutes in the morning. Moments of it looked like sitting on my meditation cushion at my altar, setting my timer to meditate and just like then lying in fetal position and bawling my eyes out until my timer went off. It's like, okay, there's a lot of hours in the day, Lex, like get up. And then if it's like, yeah, you go sit back down and it just looks so messy. Snot, Kleenex, <laughs> mascara everywhere. It's like, gotta, it's got to come out somehow. Somehow. But like my commitment to that, that this is the path. Because in anything, when you're in a dark time or going through anything, you have to pick a path and stay with it. And when you pick one path, You'll go deep. It's when we're like, oh, I'm going to try a little bit of this aromatherapy. And then I'm going to try a little bit of these crystals, which both, they're great. They're great. I'm not dizzy either. But like pick a path and go for it and let it take you as deep as it will take you. And you'll come out the other side. I think they want to, it's the same thing in sport too. They want to, they, they want to be, they want to keep looking for that next solution but they want it to be the perfect solution before they even start like i want to you know i want to test this out test the waters out and if it's exceeding maybe i'll go a little bit further but as soon as there's a sign that it's not they're going to switch to the next thing right and then they're like okay well maybe this is the solution that i can set myself up to really do the work and have success Mm -hmm. when what what exactly you're saying is the, the essence of it is just like just start doing one thing and stick with that one thing all the way through exhaust that whole thing and then maybe move on to something else, but exhaust that first solution to see how it works for you. And like yoga, how could you ever exhaust the oh, philosophy yeah. of yoga, the practice of yoga ever? Well, I think that's, that's the thing. Like that's the, that's kind of like the yoga veil. I want to, I want to help lift 
that there is like an end point to a pose, <laughs> that there is an end point to a breath, that there is an end point to, um, like you know, meditation. Like, that's perfect. No, okay. Else. Okay. So I got you. Ready? Hey. I might tie your rein in a knot, but I'm going to, I'm going to shoot for this. Okay. Right. All of that seeking. It's like, what are we looking for? The, in the accomplishment, in the end game, what are we really searching for? What are, what are we seeking? And I think we're seeking to know who we really are. And from a Vedantic perspective of the philosophy, who you are, you can actually never find it. And what I mean by that is You are the subject of your entire life. And every single thing in your life is an object. Who you really are, so like you can see me, I can point to this object, this object, everything in my light of awareness I can point to as an object. I will never be able to point to who I really am as an object because it is the eternal subject. The eternal subject. Never. We'll never be able to point to who we really are. We can point it out through the teachings. It can be pointed. We can reside in it. But we're never going to go, aha, I found it. I found it. How can you find something that's never been lost? Ever. Not for one second. So how can people touch it? How do you touch it? Hmm. I mean, meditation is a profound practice that is unparalleled. But I also think we touch it um, like um, I think we see a reflection of it, which is very close to residing in it. And that reflection of it is... um, is almost just as profound. So like in the philosophy, they state that there's a mirror inside of us that's reflecting who we really are. And that mirror is covered with dirt and stains. It's called the malas. And all that dirt and all the stains on the mirror make us feel three things, incapable, separate, and somehow unworthy, okay? Every time we come to the mat, Every time we breathe, every time we practice, and I'm a big believer that spiritual practice can be anything, you know? So um, whatever that is for you, you know, like extend it out. But every time we do that, we're wiping the mirror clean. And I'm sure both of you being yogis, being, there's a moment on the mat when, 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 oh my goodness, a part of that mirror is crystal clear and you go, oh my God. (laughs) and you see who you are and you see who you are and it's beautiful and then it's over (laughs) right oh you just had an experience like that like when you said you were in like total flow and like the moment you the moment you realize you're in flow no flow like the moment you realize you're present no presence i know swimming i don't think i've been swimming in a while i was just getting back to it and i was doing these long sets and it was like daunting it was like 10 by 300 yards like constantly going i was swimming with a buddy who was much faster than me and it got like like the seventh or eighth one and in the middle of that one 
I caught myself like swimming mm. just in the middle of the set. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going fast. I'm not feeling my arms. Like everything was just like, move. everything was moving. I was breathing and, you know, I was exhausted and my heart rate was up, but I was just like so comfortable. And then all of a sudden, once I noticed that, it was like back into like, oh, my shoulders. Yeah, you drop, you drop back into <laughs> like the body. Drop back once, in, but you have yeah. that little glimpse. Which lasts you so long mm-hmm. when you think about it. It's a, it's not to get discouraged, like, I'm really going to commit to all these practices for just that <laughs> blip. <Right. laughs> Great, wonderful. It's like those small moments. Oh, my goodness. Some of them will, in my own practice, on and off the mat, those moments of seeing myself, those moments of that just profound connectedness to myself and all things around me, like some of those things I still cry about. You know, move to tears happened years ago. And it's like, you can recall it. They stay because it's, it's an aspect of the consciousness, you know? So it's like, it stays, it's not going to go, it's not going to disappear. The sometimes in, well, not sometimes, a lot of times in class, maybe actually every class, um, when I get them down on the mat and, and even as they're moving, like if we're do, if we're moving, you know, even if we're going like one breath, one, one motion, it doesn't have to be chaotic. It can be like really mm-hmm. stretching and finding like the very, very end of the breath. But one of the places that I love to have my, encourage my students to hang out is between the breath. Mm. Because at first glance, it seems like there's nothing there. But what I've discovered by hanging out there is that there's something there that's like, closer to me than the breath of course of course so when you look at the different layers the koshas first we have the physical body right so here's we're in the movement then we have the breath the prana then we have the mind and people commonly and so think we're using all of this right our mind and actually we're using what's next the mind in uh vedanta is split up into two parts the mind and then the intellect and the intellect is what we're using the intellect right here the intellect right like what is the teacher saying okay do i do this do i do that da, 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 da. um and then past the intellect there's nothingness which is actually still not who you are, <laughs> which is really cool. But that the light of your awareness is lighting up the whole body-mind complex. So even in, in, that, in the space between, right, you get that like a little bit of nothingness, right? And that, that's actually a, a link to ananda, which is joy or bliss, you know? So like the... Oh, what's so palpable and potent in between the nothingness, the emptiness, you know, um, or even in the top of the inhale too, it's so profoundly full that there's not a hint of lack, which is porna, which is who you are. You're so full. And then at the complete emptiness, the nothingness, but just like space and peace, shantaya. And so, of course, what you're speaking about, that gap, that space is closer to who you really are because right behind the nothingness is the subject, the eternal subject that we will never be able to point to. Which would be, would would that be consciousness? Consciousness. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's different for every, you know, like some people would say consciousness, um, 
uh, some people would say it's it's the God or the divinity within you. The Atman or the Atman, Brahman. Brahman, mm-hmm. exactly. So, okay, if people are like, Atman, Brahman, like what, well, I don't even know what they're talking about. Like, I just want to get faster to 5K. Um, <laughs> where would you have somebody start? Mm. Do yoga that you find fun. Fun, fun. Like, I remember I began because to me, I'm like, this is so fun to move my body around on a mat like this. I have not done this. And I was a gymnast when I was younger. So it's like, I hadn't done anything like that without competition, (laughs) you know, my whole life. And, um, you know, there's something to be said right now for me, at least, um, about uh, walking into yoga. I like to call it like the modern yogi or the urban mystic that we get to have both aspects of our lives, you know, of who we are. It's not about, oh my God, now I'm going to have to go sit in this room with gongs and like smell incense and 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 never shave my armpits and well you know it's like people I mean come on we all catastrophize like we all think it's gonna be this like huge dramatic shift in our lives no go to yoga someplace where you like the vibe when you walk in you like the vibe it's like go go try a few different places learn do you like music do you like loud music do you like soft music I mean we have so much yoga out there these days don't just go to one class and then, you know, cross yoga off your list of something that could be enjoyable and supportive for for you and your life. Yeah, and and like f- find your teacher cuz like you were saying like not every student is my student and I remember when I first started teaching the studio owner was like um I struggled my first year because I I just I was mm. such an overachiever and I just, I wanted to be the best yoga teacher and I just still had that even though I shed so much in my training and had done so much healing already. There's just so much more that needs to happen still. But I remember he said, um, he, he was, he was so good cause he was so hard on me and like as much as I wanted like a pat on the back after every class, he wouldn't give it to me, you know? Just huh, sounds of, like my teacher. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he was so hard on me, but it was so great because I can, I can pretty much teach for anyone now. Like, oh, you want me to audition? Great. Because nothing is, I don't, can't imagine that anything would be like it was when I taught at this one place. And, um, I remember he said, um, you'll know, you'll know when you start to really step into like your Mm -hmm. voice and everything, because you'll know when the first person rolls up their mat and walks out and you're unfazed. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, I remember somebody walked in and I was like, oh, still phased, still (laughs) phased, like, you know, like waiting for them to wave and say namaste and thank you. Mm -hmm. And that didn't happen. And I hung on to it, you know, and dragged it around a little bit for a couple of days, like I'm the worst. But then, like, I'll never forget that day. Somebody rolled it up and walked out. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, because, number one, like, who's that about? That's about me. That's about me. Like, that's about me. Like, oh, my God, they didn't like the class. No, I don't know where they're going. They're not, maybe they're not my student. Maybe they are my student, but they don't feel well. Like, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
And so, yeah, like go and find your teacher. And just like the first massage I had was the worst massage in the world. But I did you give up and never have no, another massage? But I love massage. Yeah, you know? like it's it's there's it's. I believe that I do believe that we're there's a part of us that it's brighter in other in other folks, and maybe through lifetimes mm-hmm. it will get brighter and brighter and brighter. But we are to get to the mat. We are to get to the meditation cushion. Oh, that just felt like someone wrapped me in cashmere and like brought me a like warm cup of hot cocoa. Like when you said that, I'm like, yeah, the yeah. idea of everyone coming to their mat and just and like it's I don't know. It's it's like the the doorway opens for you to start to go home. Well, I think of the mat, you know, as um, a practice for us to journey into the mandarin, the temple within, which is our home, which is the seat of the I am presence, which is what we're talking about. So what do you have to say to like the resistant yogi? Like, um, like I'm not, I'm not doing that. Or um, I, I tried it once and that's not for me. Or, I'm you like know, a teacher so, it, you know, you're flexible. getting this kind of ego resistance hmm. and it's not because they're jerks it's just you're getting ego ego is a, a rich okay. energy i mean i again my answer might not be for everyone because <laughs> but that's okay because you don't care yeah. <laughs> yeah um i might um well the first thing that came up was this idea of misalignment and about how really every single problem we have is that we're misaligned to who we really are, okay? So, and yoga is a physical practice. I get it. The, the postures themselves, it's a physical practice. But we know, you know, that there's something happening within ourselves, the, the, the union within ourselves of coming home. So I think I would just start to maybe even let their ego talk about all the problems that they have in their life, <laughs> like all the misalignment, all the misalignment and how the misalignment is causing so much pain. And um, at the end of the day, we can't do anything about anyone else. The only place of power we have, as my spiritual counselor likes to talk about it, she's like, we need to clean up our side of the street first. And if misalignment causes pain in our relationships, at our work, in our physical body, it's like, why not just give something a try that the heart of it is exquisite alignment? So it's like not just going to bring you out of pain. It's not just going to have you sleep better. It's not going to ha- just have you feel more free in your physical body, but that it's going to start to transfer over, that things are going to start coming into harmony. I mean, if you're into your problems, great. You can keep them. Uh, (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Or or you can do some yoga. (laughs) The biggest thing that that I saw, and Vijay, I want to know your experience, but the biggest thing that I saw is that, and it really came from once I found my my teacher, like who I trained with, um, because he taught, he was teaching mindfulness and, and presence and and connection with the breath as you're moving Mm -hmm. the body. And for me, that allowed me space because 
my awareness was so pinned into my thoughts, my thoughts about the pose, my thought, my thoughts about the class, my thoughts about the outfit that I decided to wear to class. Like that's like cutting off your belly and like your boobs falling out of one side and you're like, great, wonderful, (laughs) bad choice. (laughs) Being able to, like he taught me to pull my, pull my awareness away from that and put it on something else, put it on something that's happening right now, my breath Mm. or my body. And so with that, you know, it, it ended up taking me to the meditation cushion and I started meditating. And then what happened as a byproduct, so there's so right. many byproducts, every relationship in my life got better. Yeah. Every relationship in my life got better and nobody changed except for me. Right. And so, BJ, did you, what have you experienced since, because... This amazing man is not, he's the full yogi. He's a meditator and practices and teaches, as we know. Yeah. He can sub for you. Perfect. <laughs> see my massive email list that came out today? <laughs> Woo! Oh, no, <laughs> see that. Uh, I think it's a similar process to what you experienced. I think, I think I had some very hard lines, some very like, this is who I am. This is, this mm. is what I'm defined by. And... When I finally was able to see above that or see outside of that, it just, it snowballed. Mm. So I think the saying is like, keep all channels open, like keep everything open. And when you make that, that flip in your mind, when you don't say like, I'm not going to go to yoga, I'm a guy, like I'm not going to, I can, I can go to the gym and lift weights and, and that's a little bit better. When you can flip that and say like, oh, maybe I'll give it a try. Like say yes instead of the no and just get outside yourself I feel like that sort of opened the door and things have snowballed like I quit my job and I'm a yoga teacher and I'm doing yoga and I prescribe yoga for my athletes and I would prefer to skip a workout and get to the studio because Mm -hmm. I know the benefits and getting up with you at 4 30 whatever 4 45 in the morning and sitting there and meditating Mm -hmm. when all my mind sometimes wants to do is get out or sleep or sleep I just know that I'm better for it. I just know after that's done, my whole day is set. My whole day is set. There's momentum that you're talking about. As soon as you get into the practice, and it, it, it's like a, a table with eight limbs. So if you pull one of the legs of the table closer to you as a byproduct, meditation, self-study, they're all going to, nonviolence, they're all going to come closer to you, right? Mm-hmm. So... um with the momentum, I was just at a workshop and it, and we were talking about this and, uh, it's like the thing that wakes me up at four 30 in the morning to do my practice isn't fear at this point of, Oh crap, who am I going to be during my day? If I don't do my practice, momentum will take over as As soon as you go through the door, day one, day two, day three, you're building momentum. And now it's the momentum of that wakes me up in the morning that says, I can't wait to do my practice. And it's the difference from first it's fear, like, oh man, I don't want to go back. Oh, I don't want to get hurt. It's all, it's all fear. And then all of a sudden love takes over and it's the love for the path and the practice. And it's like, there's no greater power than that. Yeah, like for me, there's, I mean, I wake up and 
like I might have that, like that kind of like sleepy energy, but I'm like, I am just so in love with sitting and, I know. you know, and, and for me, it's almost like I've got to slow it way down. Cause I like to start with some pranayama to, you know, help concentrate the mind. And it's like, it's, you're, you're doing it right now. It's not about getting to that space where there's just nothing and you're silent and you're, you know, you're in that white light at the end of the tunnel and you're floating around there. It's like, it's not about like getting there. It's about being Which you will right still here. not be with the self. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so we can just let that go. <laughs> it's like slowing down. I, this, in, again, there's so many byproducts. Like it's it just from sitting, you know, it, it's, I have these experiences. I've had these experiences over the year where, you know, the first time I meditated, I'm like, oh, okay, that's presence. And then like a year mm-hmm. later, it's like, oh, that's presence. Yeah. And then like four years later, it's like, oh. Oh, all right. That's presence. And you know, what's, what's happening for me now is I've hit this whole new level of slowing down within time, which is so cool. Like just like the clock's ticking or whatever in like the breath is coming in, but my experience within that time is long. It's slowing way down. And I, and I know that I've hit like the the, I'm getting deeper in those yeah. levels, but it's not because I like read a book and it was like, okay, here's one, two, and three, and this is what you got to do to hit the deeper levels. It's like sit every day, commit to sit it's, every day. Your practice is taking you deep. Yeah. It's so cool. And it will be individual for every person, very specific, which is so romantic and intimate, you know, that the, this very intimate path is going to just be special unfold in a special way just for us and the acceptance that it is so unique right like like okay i'm i'm not eckhart tolle that just wakes up in samadhi you know and then all, <laughs> and I have all this wisdom like i'm like oh i gotta work for it but this is all what i was all in for when i came back mm-hmm. i'm just playing it out right yeah all right um okay before we go way off the rails yeah i want to talk about your books so you've written four books. Yeah. When did when did this when did they like tell tell me the first <laughs> three um, have to do primarily about my healing journey that was what looked like an eating disorder from you know the outside, but really it's all um, I believe it's the disconnection from um, from who we really are, you know and. And when we recover the connection to who we really are, we're whole and, and what, what needs to be healed. I mean, it's like at that point, healing's an illusion, right? It's yeah, like, so it's almost like it's just pe- it's peeling back those layers. And this, so yeah, so the first three were really about how – Using the yoga path, the philosophy, these practices as a way, primarily creating a sadhana to facilitate the quote unquote healing that you believe you need and really byproduct again, when you plug in to who you really are and make that your focus, right? Which is the love of who you really are. Like I want, I want to plug in there versus I want to, I need to heal from all these things, fear, you know, it can be that. And so that's what the first three were about. I'm like, really? I had to write a thousand pages on emotional healing. Great. Wonderful. (laughs) 
Was there, like, how was the process of writing? Was it just, like, did it write through you? Did you struggle with it? With- Here's the deal. The first one took me, like, I think I got the ma- the first massive download. It came through in two weeks. From that draft, before I had a book in my hands four and a half years <laughs> I was like this is easy man I'm gonna write like 100 books you know <laughs> oh no especially when you're writing about this stuff because um it, you go on a process a journey to from from first word to last word um and and it's like that first book was so much a part of me that it took so much. It was like the book couldn't be done until what was inside me was done. And um, that chapter, you know? Um, But since then, I mean, if writing was easy, everyone would write a book. (laughs) It's not easy. But it's like, just like teaching, when I write, I feel more like myself than in any other area of my life. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm going to write, I'm going to keep writing books, you know, whether people read them or not. Like, I'm just going to keep writing them. <laughs> and then, the, so those were the proof Three. of healing. Yeah. The practices of healing, the keys to healing. Yeah. So if somebody like wanted to, what would they start with? The, the proof or the? Like- uh, the keys is number one. So that's like, just like the basics, basics. And once you have the basics, like um, the middle one, the practices, yoga, meditation, pranayama, um, um, creating a sadhana, you know, that's in that. And then the proof of healing is more, this is one thing I found that people get really hung up on like, because I had an eating disorder, which is something that you have to build a healthy relationship with. Like, it's not like, so my substance of choice, I, I now have to interact with every single day. So it's not like I was snorting cocaine and healing is now never gonna snort some coke ever again. It's like, oh no, you actually have to do the work. Like do the work to like, have this healthy relationship. Um, And so what I found in that is people can get really hung up like, I'm in recovery, I'm in recovery, where truth be told, I'm being so honest that there was this point where I was going to these groups where I'm like, I'm not struggling like these women anymore. I'm just not. And it was like I had to acknowledge for myself that because I was walking the yogic path, next to the traditional therapy treatment path that I was, I was doing the work and going deep and reconnecting with who I really was inside. And then at one point I was just like, this is just a non-issue in my life. Like I'm not even like in recovery. It's just like, like I don't even know the last time I even talked about having an eating disorder. Like I'm so happy to talk about it here, but like years, years, it's like, 
So that last book is really about, it's okay to like stepping beyond, like there's proof. It's okay not to be in recovery anymore. It is a proof of healing. <laughs> like when you show up like this, when you, you know, when this is happening in your life. When that person rolls up their mat and walks out of your class, you it's got okay. It. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and then 30 days of healing. Well, how far along 30 days to a miracle. Oh, 30 days miracle, to a miracle. Miracle, girl. Miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Experiment with prayer. prayer. I love this because prayer, I grew up Catholic, so prayer is like, um, you know, the, um, the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. You know, to like yeah, an or, to like an organ, yeah. and like you don't really know all the words, but somehow you know all the words. Kind of mumble them when everybody mumbles <laughs> the rest. And so, like you know, and when I first started meditating and working with my teacher, like, he, and I know he felt it, like he was yeah. just so intuitive. Like he said the God word once, and I like almost ran out the door, you know, because I was like, oh my God, that's the one that's going to like punish me because I yeah. was swearing and I wasn't nice to my brother and I cheated on my boyfriend in high school and. And so he didn't use that word for a long time. And I think I was the one that actually brought it back in because I was like, God is not, God is not. We've made God something that makes people cringe. You know, the terminology. And that that prayer was like, I have to pray, I have to pray to this God that if I don't do it right, I'm going to get punished. Right. So, um, so this is a horrible relationship. Yeah. But, but so, now it's like God is, is uh, for me, it's everything. It's, it's me. It's everything. It's this microphone. It's everything. Yeah. It's in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so prayer, like I pray every day. Prayer is beautiful. Actually, this came through as a massive download. One day I woke up in the morning and I was like, I'm going to pray every day for 30 days and I'm going to document it. And I made little videos and I was like, I had no idea. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing, but it, it just came through and, um, you know, trusting that, like, again, I'm the faucet, you're the water, just come through me, use me. And, uh, it's so funny because I actually have a paragraph in that book that's like, you'll notice that there's one very important word that has been left out of this entire text and it's God, (laughs) you know, because people are, it's the most charged religious word out there. So, you know, I'm like, Whatever you believe, just in in you know, input it in where I use the divine or spirit. Yeah, but, yeah. Whatever it is, consciousness, divine mother. Like, yeah, whatever it is that you use, it doesn't Love. matter. Love. We're all speaking the same language. Yeah. When you look at it, like if you were even to like, you know, flush out the Bible, like it's very very spiritual text. Yeah. It's just was translated in a in a certain way. Yeah. It has been translated in in different ways, but it's a very I've pulled that apart. And, um, like Jesus was a super cool, first of all, he was a yogi. I always say like, Jesus is my dream man. Total dream man. He's a badass yogi (laughs) and a carpenter with that hair and the beard. Like, I'm like, oh, oh my God, my heart. (laughs) My cousin who actually didn't, she interviewed us when we were on our, our tour and we were in Asheville, North Carolina. You would love this. She has a painting of Jesus meditating on a mountaintop. He looks so hot (laughs) it's like i I was like oh my god she goes i know he's so hot he's so hot so hot right there (laughs) he's like super cool dude like he's a super cool dude um and he just had he was the he was the the thought like the it would just come through i think the i think it's a course of miracles that says um there's nothing difference between you or me um and jesus it's just that he doesn't have anything he doesn't have anything that we don't have. 
he just doesn't have anything else. <laughs> right. So that he could put his hand on you and you would be healed. Right. We have the ego. We have this. We have our beliefs. We have all this stuff. Wherein he didn't. He, he had a very, very pure soul. He didn't, there was, his mirror was totally Crystal clear. clear. Like he just came out of like the, the $60 like <laughs> wax and shine at the car wash. Right? Like it was all nice and clean. Um, <laughs> and his inner beauty was also his outer beauty. Okay. So Jesus was hot. Um, so tell me about this book in prayer. Like how did you start? Cause you were like, this, this is what I love is people stay away from meditation or whatever. Cause they don't know where to start. Yeah. Prayer to me is meditation on steroids. So I would just sit and um, I guess that time in my life I was really working on surrendering my personal will so that I could be held and guided by the divine's will. And so that was kind of, that's where I was. So that became the practice, you know, of surrendering my personal will. Just like you know better, whatever that you is, you know, you know better. And... um so yeah, I would just set my timer like how I would normally meditate in the morning and I'd be like, I'd talk to the ceiling. <laughs> and um, it's so fascinating, you know, just it, prayer is so simple, you know? I mean, it, it, it's just from your heart. I think one of, in the book, one key component, I just say pray with bhakti, just pray with love in your heart, you know, just pray with the love in your heart. Whatever you're saying, even like, like, you know, I think the Course in Miracles also says what you put on the altar will be altered. So it's just like put, put, uh, put, put the, put the bitterness, put the anger, put whatever's coming up. Just like put it on the metaphorical altar. Just give it up. See what happens, you know, give it up. We don't have to like cling so tightly to everything. So how, like how, how do they give it up? verbalizing it, verbalizing it. And like, this is a really key component, I think. The bhakti in your heart, but also like, like, um, like make a fist and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze and your fist will get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And that's the state of our hearts, right? And like then just release the clenched fist. And this is why I say in yoga all the time, release the clenched fist within your heart. Like just open. If you just open and say a prayer, I mean, magical things will happen. Miracles will happen. It's Anusara Yoga. The number one principle is to stay open, open to grace. What's grace? The revelatory power of the universe. Truth. To just stay open to truth to be revealed. And if you could somehow manage to just stay open in every single moment, you would be the most enlightened master on this planet. Just by staying open. Just by staying open. So just when you notice the clenched fist in your heart, just, just release it like you would your hand. And you could even pray like, help me open. Like, I'm willing I'm willing. That's a big prayer. You know, I'm willing to open. What's the importance of releasing the self-will to <laughs> God's will? That's like, that requires, okay. like in order to do that, that requires like 
you got to be like vulnerable. You got to like, but you got to trust, but so much fear, fear can get in there. But this is, this is huge. This is huge. This this is huge. This is huge. And this is like a huge piece of my life and everything that we did over the last year and not having a home and not knowing where we were going to sleep and not knowing if the money we had in the bank was going to last and, you know, not knowing if we were going to get in a ton of debt again and not knowing if anything was just a huge mistake, but being like, we would wake up in the morning and we would say, all we have to do is stay present and open. Hmm. That's it. Like we are here to serve. Show us the way. Yes. Like, show us the way. And that didn't mean that, like, sometimes it wasn't super intense. <laughs> yeah, I think the course also says we take second to gain the first. So instead of the personal will, which is really the ego, but, like, yes. you know. I couldn't write a book that says, hey, I'm going to teach you how to surrender your ego because no one's ego would buy it. So, like, I had to, like, slide it in there. Right, the ego is, like, Chapter it's 15. A, you know? It's a force. <laughs> it's it's going to be the one that says... You don't need that yoga class. It's a force. It's an energetic force. It's not your ego. It's just the ego energy. And so it's, you know, waking up to that and seeing like, oh, that's not me. It's not me. It's not mine. I'm always like, oh, that's not, look at you, funny little bastard showing up. Yeah. Silly one. You know, but another um, mentor I have, he's always like, just talk to the ego like it's a dog. Like you sit right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love how no. um, yes. who is it? Elizabeth Gilbert. And I want to get back to the self will thing, but Elizabeth Gil- Gilbert has a great book called Big Magic. Have you read it? No. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's just about live. It's like having mm. the bravery to live the creative life. And so she's a writer. So of course, a lot of yeah. it's related to writing. But like I had BJ listen to it, like as like stepping into his greatness as a coach. Mm. Like you know how scary is that that he's living out what he loves and and you know that he's going to find his athletes and maybe some athletes are not going to be for him and they're going to you know take their sneakers and go elsewhere and it's okay um but she says um uh oh yeah she talks about fear and she's like so here's the deal with fear like just and we talk about this too like you know I say come on in like let's just go for the ride you're going to sit in the back seat yeah, you you have you're not gonna like change that. You're not in charge of the radio, and you are never gonna drive the car. Yeah, but come with. Yeah, like come with. Like don't get mad. at There's it. information there. Yeah, and you can't get mad at it because getting mm-hmm. mad at it is that same energy. Right. Yeah. So right. It's like it's creating a healthy relationship with it. Yeah. All right. So back to the self personal will. Well, like I said, uh, you know, we 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 take second to really gain first. So by stepping back and saying, um, I, I just keep getting this image of uh, this woman um, who, who's, you know, uh, uh, just a tremendous mentor in my life. And I see her standing and she's in one space and she's like, this is my ego and I'm going to make it happen and da, 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 and this is the way things are going to have to be and da, 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 and like I have to make it work, I have to make it work. And then over here, there's God, you know, <laughs> like, or consciousness or love. There's the ego and then there's just this all-pervading force of the universe. Like, which one do you want running your life, <laughs> you know? That's huge, yeah. Because we can, we can, the self-will is super strong. And I know because I spent a lot of my life getting every single thing I wanted, whether it was a car, a job, or a man standing right next to me. Like, whatever that was, I got it. I didn't give a shit who was in my way. I did not care. 
And so that that's the power of self-will. Like I got everything I ever wanted. And then where did it land me, right? right. Where did it land? landed me like miserable, struggling with food, myself, couldn't sit down, the whole thing. But so, so, so like, so trusting that we're, he- we're here to, to walk our path, to clean our mirrors, right? That's going to require some, yep. some feeling and some sensation. <laughs> yeah. And like Marianne Williamson says, all these like sensations and feelings, like she's like, what, you have an anxiety disorder? Who doesn't? <laughs> like, what, you're depressed? Who isn't when they look out into the world with what's going on right now? Like, this is a part of us being humans. Yeah. We're going to go through anxiety and depression and grief and pain. And it's like, it's just a part of it. That doesn't mean that we have to muster up our personal will. Like, somehow, we didn't try hard enough. We didn't make the right decision. We should be this, more, this, da, 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 da. No. No. Most often, it's because of that that the, the feelings are, are, are increasing or they're not subsiding, you know, in, in a healthy amount of time. But, you know, if, this, if there's really some all-pervading energy out there that is orchestrating the entire dance of the cosmos, I'd rather have that force orchestrate my life <laughs> than my ego. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, because it's that same force that's holding the planets in alignment. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's true. Right? Pretty good job. Pretty good job. That doesn't mean we don't show up, right? But, like, there, there's that line, you know? Of, living in the world. Yeah. But not of it. Right. So the vertical alignment, the vertical world... Our connection with spirit or, or whatever that is for you. The horizontal world, which is the physical world. And this is actually what my teaching tour in 2018 is about. It's about living in the sweet spot of the intersection between the two. So I like to say we can have our manicures and our mantras. You know, we can have our champagne and our crystals. Like, it's cool. We can have both. We can have both. But it's like staying in the sweet spot. And you'll feel it when you become too oriented with the physical, the horizontal plane. You'll feel the misalignment. And what does misalignment cause? Pain. And that shows up physically, mentally, or emotionally. I think that's kind of an awesome place to start to wrap this up. (laughs) Namaste. Namaste. All right, you guys, that's Lex Ferrier. Big impression, right? We are so grateful to have been connected with this soul sister, and I just love her digestible and honest approach to the teachings of ancient yogic philosophy. For more on her studies and her upcoming teaching tour of 2018, stay tuned for the podcast extras, one of which is already posted on our Patreon page. The other is going to come over the next few days. I've been building out more content every week, so please let us know what you think and what do you want to see more of. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the ways to connect with Lex, purchase her books, work with her one-on-one, and follow her journey forward as a leader in the art of waking up. Just want to send tons of high vibes to our podcast guests, John Joseph McGowan, Troy RGC, or as I like to say, Rodrigo Romero Garcia de la Cadena, Brittany Friedrich, 
Billy Hafferty and Suzanne Davis, who are all on the Big Island soaking up the sacred energy in preparation for Ironman World Championships this coming Saturday. Yeah, people, this is our Super Bowl. And let's not underestimate the power of love and strength that all of us can send to everyone picking up their timing chips this week. So one step in front of the other, you guys. And if you don't know which direction to step, Simply ask for the next logical movement forward to be revealed to you and then wait and listen. Move from a place of calm connection. You will always have the courageous energy with you to take it. Be awake and ready. Life is just a series of moments, every single one brand new and none more important than the other. Evenness of mind is what yoga can teach us and it is within this state that all things are possible.